Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. everyone, welcome back to What A Ball A podcast with myself and I'm also joined by Gary. How are we doing, mate? Very well, and very well. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I wish I didn't have to talk about this, but we have to, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> basically, we're going to talk about the Ashes, um, which England managed to lose 4-0. Uh, I think the worst thing about all that was I predicted we were going to win it, so I'm, I'm just, like I say, completely wrong. But to join us with... Uh, this kind of was going to be an hour of torture, I think, um, <laughs> from the <laughs> from the County Cricket Podcast. We've got uh, Aaron Viles. How are we doing? All good, lads. All good. Obviously, it would be even better if England hadn't have, have lost 4-0. But, hey, you know what? You've got to give due credit to the Australians. They were absolutely sensational. In particular, the likes of Scott Bolland, Travis Head. They just outplayed us. Mm. Basically, from ball one. And, lads, do you want me to kickstart today's podcast with an absolute jaffer of a stat? Oh, then let's go, yeah. Right, Rory Burns getting out to Mitchell Stark, right? First ball of the series. First time that's happened in an Ashes series since 1936-37 when Derbyshire's Stan Worthington was dismissed by Ernie McIntosh at the Gabba. So, uh, yeah, that's basically a, a bad omen. And, yeah, the, the rest of the series went about as planned from there for, for, for anyone who doesn't know Aaron um, very well, his Twitter handle's a quick connoisseur. And, you know, that's why, you know, pulling out stats like that. He's been on the show for five seconds, pulls out a stat like that. I mean, yeah, I can't wait to get into this now. Uh, and, and also we've got uh, joining us once again, Lucy Reese. How are we doing, Lucy? Yeah, really good, thanks. Can I just say, that is why you've got Aaron on this podcast. He's just insane when it comes to stats like that. I was going to ask, have you got a stat to rival that one? But... No. Absolutely not, last no. championship, Lucy. Sorry? When did Glamorgan last win the championship? Oh, was this the 96 question? No, it was 97. Yes, there we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, look at that. 
There we go. We're having our pub quiz already. I can't wait. There's our two quiz. There's uh, our two quiz. Uh, quiz masters sorted out, Gary, for our next quiz whenever we do one. Definitely. Uh, the 2022 yeah. Christmas quiz. Uh, I mean, I have my own little stat. I don't know. Um, I think, Gary, you know this one. This doesn't include cricket, actually. This is about tennis. And Emma Raducanu was playing Sloane Stevens yesterday. And, and fair play to Raducanu. She, she absolutely bossed it. But Sloane Stevens is married to an ex-Sunderland legend. I mean, if one of you two guys can can name the legend. You say a legend loosely. Very loosely. <laughs> oh, goodness me. That's a tough one. Do you know, when I think Sunderland straight away, I think Lee Catamore. Yeah, it's not Lee Catamore. I was going to say. It's American. Do you remember, do you remember the, the great Josie Altidore? American striker, of course I know Josie Altidore. Uh, I did not know that. How is yeah. he doing nowadays? Is he still playing? He's married to Sloane Stevens, so he's obviously doing really well. He's doing something well, yeah. <laughs> Apparently yeah. the childhood sweetheart's been going out since the fifth grade. So there we go. There we go. All right, we're going to talk about cricket. Sorry, <laughs> right. We're going to talk about cricket because, yeah, we're just off the bat of a humiliation. I'll, I'll, I'll say this, you know. I mean, like I say, I, I thought we were going to do all right because I didn't think that was the best Australian team ever, to be honest, you know, seeing the likes of Shane Warne, Glenn McGrath, Brett Lee, you know, yeah, I know Pat Cummins is a hell of a baller, but I thought we would have done a lot more. I would have thought it would be a little bit more competitive, Aaron, and to be honest, looking at the results, I mean, England haven't been in the, any of these tests, have they? You know, they've had maybe a couple of, of good hours, good sessions, but they've been absolutely destroyed in, in, in all five of the games, and only got a draw in the fourth test, but we, were, we, were, we weren't going to win it, were we? We was batted out all day, it wasn't a absolute disaster really wasn't it yeah to be honest just looking at the results just for those who who don't know the first game of the series at the Gabba lost by nine wickets second game day night test at the Adelaide Oval 275 run loss Melbourne boxing day test at the MCG innings and 14 run loss and by that point unassailable 3-0 lead we'd lost the ashes within the first three games as you rightfully said, Ants, Sydney, the draw, then again, was rain-effective, but you've got to give the likes of Johnny Bairstow, Joss Butler, Jimmy and Brody at the end as well, a lot of credit. And then Hobart, three days. It took three days to lose that test match by 146 runs. Definitely a series to forget, but then at the same time, I hope that England don't forget it. Mm -hmm. And I hope that we can use this as a catalyst to build better in the future. Yeah, I mean, Lucy, you're going to get this question and... I feel sorry for you already, but what went wrong? <laughs> what exactly went wrong? Let's pick it apart here. I think um, the main thing that I've been saying all along is um, England's focus on red ball cricket. I think we went out there um, just off a season full of limited overs. Um, if you're looking at the 100, T20 Blast, um, the One Day Cup, um, I think players were so focused as well, going in, going playing white ball cricket, um, going over there. I think they were just a bit, oh, this is test cricket. Yeah, we, we forgot how to play this kind of, you know, looking at the batting in particular. Um, no one really batted test cricketly until we saw Johnny Bairstow and Joss Butler in the fourth test of third, fourth, third, fourth, yeah. Fourth. <laughs> yeah, fourth. Yeah. Um, and I think... Um, just looking how how we batted and not even just the wickets just literally how we batted strike rates stuff like that i think that's where we struggled 
Yeah, I mean, Aaron, I'll ask you this one. Like, did, were you happy with the squad that went over? Obviously, you know, England have struggled all year, really. We've seen Rory Burns, for, for some reason, just can't seem to... I know he's a bit he's a bit of an unlucky batsman, but he's also... He struggles with his... Uh, I think his batting motion's not very good. His stance is moving all the way around his stumps. You know, he wasn't in form. You know, Hamid wasn't in form. Ollie Pope, who went, probably wasn't in that, that great form. We've got an injured Ben Stokes coming over relying a little bit too much on him and then it's just really there's there wasn't much to come in I'll admit that but would you have taken was there someone in that squad or someone at home really who you would have thought I'd, I'd probably bring in the squad well it's a funny question that Amp because Joe Root I think it was after the Melbourne test so the third test when England had, had lost the series he said that these were the 18 best players in county cricket now again that's an incredibly subjective opinion to have everyone will have their own different thoughts, different players that they would have selected. Personally speaking, I would have chosen some different players. And in terms of just some examples of those, one of them would have been Matt Parkinson. For those mm. who know this guy, he gets so many revs, so many rotations on the ball. He's such an aggressive attacking spin bowler. And I saw on social media the way in which Joe Root utilises his spinners. He doesn't give them attacking fields. He uses them almost as just someone to hold up an end. And I think that's the wrong approach to have in test cricket. If you... If you were to make a side-by-side -side comparison between England's use of Jack Leach and Nathan Lyon, polar opposites, polar opposites. Jack Leach had a field at one point in Adelaide, and I think he had one in, um, in at the Gabba as well. Basically, every single, not Adelaide, sorry, Melbourne. He didn't play in Adelaide. He was dropped. In Melbourne and, and Brisbane, he had fields where there were just players all around the boundary. It's like a T20 match. You know, they're not trying to get wickets. They're not trying to be aggressive. It's a case of the batsman making a mistake instead of mm -hmm. trying to force the opposition into making one. If you compare that to Nathan Lyon, they had a short legging, they had a silly point, leg slips, slips, men around the bats putting the pressure on to the English batting lineup. So, yeah, I, th I think that's something I would have changed. It, do you think it's Parkinson. a case of trust? Sorry to interrupt you, Aaron. Do you think it's a case of trust with Jack Leach? I mean, we've seen this for the last probably, what, three or four years that Jack Leach has been around on, on the scene now, on the international scene at least. I mean, the guy, he, he takes wickets for fun in his county, doesn't he? I know that they, they, they do, you know, they prepare the pitch lovely for him, you know, which, which is fair enough, that's what you're going to do, you know, if he's your frontline spinner. But I don't think Joe Root in particular trusts Jack Leach to A, hold an end up and B, take, you know, what, four or five wickets that you want to spin it to take on a crumbling pitch on day five. So if they don't trust him, you're bringing up a good point there. Why not bring a Parkinson in who can probably ball to the fields that Joe Root would set, but he could at least hold an end up anywhere? Well, exactly, and that is a fantastic point, And The only problem is it just hasn't been Jack Leach. This has mm -hmm. happened with Don Best, and we saw him get publicly hung out to dry in Ahmedabad in the India series. It happened to Moeen Ali beforehand. Joe Root, as a captain, doesn't have a great track record with spin bowlers. So I suppose the opposite, the alternate argument could be if you did bring Matt Parkinson and he's getting these T20 fields, would he have been effective? And again, that is a valid discussion and, and debate point. Aside from the spin, though, because I do have very strong thoughts and that always have done. I think England, aside from Graham Swan and Moeen Ali for a few years, have mismanaged spin bowlers a lot in the last decade. And again, I do have my thoughts to share on that. But aside from Matt Parkinson, I feel like with Hamid, Hamid has almost been made the, the sacrificial lamb of this particular series. Mm -hmm. He hasn't had an amazing county season. He had a good season for Knots, a good season. But there were openers out there who 
have been a lot more consistent for a lot more years. I think of the likes of Adam Sibley, but again, he was well out of form. Chris Dent from Gloucestershire is another one. You've got uh, Will Rhodes from Warwickshire as well. Jake Libby from Worcestershire. You've got so many options. Alex Lees is another one who we're probably going to see in the West Indies. I personally don't understand why Hasid, after two decent seasons at Knotts and a terrible 2019 at Lanks, where he had a really, really rough time in his final year, his boyhood club, I don't see why he was rushed in ahead of these other options. I feel like he was set up mm. to fail. Because even in county cricket, having watched him for years at Lanks and now at Nottinghamshire, one of his massive technical flaws is the height of his hands. He plays with very, very low hands. Now, on, on surfaces which don't necessarily bounce in the subcontinent, for example, we saw him excel in India in 2016. That suits you very, very nicely. In Australia, these are the pounciest surfaces on the planet. He was set up to fail in that regard, and that is not a quick fix. It's not a case of, you know, a couple of net sessions here and there, and he'll be absolutely fine, and we saw that in this series. So, again, I think that was a massive oversight from England, and he's been set up to fail. You look at the likes of Ollie Pope as well. Ollie Pope, he's not going anywhere in test cricket, and I question why that is. And I think, again, it's down to coaching. There was a story which came out the other day in the press, and there was one point in the series where he felt so mismanaged by the coaching staff that he felt like flying in Vikram Solanke from London all the way over to Australia, paying for all of his flights, his quarantine, just so he could have that backing in that environment. And that just says it all. So I would have included a, a Matt Parkinson, potentially an Alex Lees, a Ben Folks as well, from a wicket-keeping perspective. But even then... You just look at the environment, you look at all the other factors involved. Would they have made a difference? Who knows? I suppose we'll only find that answer out, you know, in an alternate universe or maybe in a future series. Yeah, I mean, Lucy, we, 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 we've been struggling with openers probably since Alistair Cook and, and Andrew Strauss really going back. I mean, that's going back a little way now. Um, what is what is you what in your opinion is the problem? You know, I, I get what you're saying before. I, I personally think they're playing too much white ball stuff, and you know the the franchises. You know, you got the BBL now. You know, obviously, you know, you got the IPL, um, the hundred that's came in this year, which you know we might get into later on. But I'm not a huge fan of that. I must admit. But why are England all of a sudden seemingly two down? After about seven runs, it seems, you know, I would love to see the averages for the for, for the openers in the last three years because Joe Root might as well just pick himself as an opener because he's in that early anyway. I think um, another issue that England have is the ECB trying to fill too many roles or fill not enough roles. So there's a lot of um, killing two birds with one stone going on. Mm -hmm. um, so like Aaron was saying about Ben Folks, he could have easily gone. Um but then you look at Joe Root and he goes, oh, right, he can bat. He can also both spin. Um, yeah, he is a good spinner, but you could pick maybe a better spinner or prioritise picking a spinner. Um, as well, then you've got Josh Butler. I would say Ben Folks in Test cricket is a better keeper. Yeah, he can bat as well, but put him in for his keeping and then his batting comes in handy. Um, and I think that is a big issue when it comes to batting and bowling for England. Yeah, it, it seems to be, um, Aaron, that a wicketkeeper 
batsman is more of a batsman wicketkeeper. If you want to play for England, you've got to be a good batter first. We see that with Josh Butler, Johnny Bairstow to a degree as well. But they're not great behind the stumps, you know. And I thought, to be honest, I thought Ollie Pope came in and did a better job than Josh Butler did. And Ollie Pope is not a wicketkeeper. You know, Billings did all right when he came in, to be fair to him. I mean, fair play to the guy travelling 500 miles for the last test when your team's already lost the Ashes. Fair play to him. I mean, he's probably lost on lost out on a little bit of money. <laughs> Why would it have to seem that you have to be able to bat first? Because to be honest, going back to someone like James Foster, who was probably the best wicketkeeper I've ever seen, English wicketkeeper, super wicketkeeper, didn't really get as much time for England because he wasn't that great with a bat. Why is it that you have to be a batter first in a wicketkeeper second? I don't know. I'm going to be honest, Dan. That is a an answer that I don't have. Only you know the selectors, the coaches can answer that for you because I don't know why. I'm always of the the ilk, the frame of mind, the school of thought, where you pick your best keeper. And I think what's happened in recent years, I think of two fantastic examples. Quinton de Kock is a great keeper, but he is of that mould for South Africa. And the other one is Rishab Pant. Now, with Rishab mm-hmm. Pant for India, great batsman. We all know that. One of the most, you know, elegant. He's got so much flair, so much exciting characteristics about him, can single-handedly dispatch a bowling attack in a test match. I feel like that is the brand new generation of keeper, when in actuality, some teams like England probably could just do with the best keeper, which we Mm. have in Ben Folkes. We are so privileged to have Ben Folkes. He's been one of the best keepers in county cricket for the last decade. Uh, He scored a century on debut, let's not forget, against Sri Lanka in 2018, and yet he cannot get regular opportunities because we prefer batsmen who look better. And I think that's the actual problem. I don't necessarily think it's a case of of runs versus keeping ability. I think we look at particular players and we see how they score runs as opposed to how many runs they score. And a fantastic example of that is Zach Crawley right now. Zach Crawley, the next big England opener, and I think he's got a fantastic future. I really do. But opening the batting, he's done it on numerous occasions now. He averages 24.5. Think of all the people who are moaning about Dom Sibley. And his, his technique, his unorthodox approach, takes too many balls, too limited with his scoring options. His average is 28.94, and he had a terrible 2021. In 2020, against South Africa away, Pakistan at home, West Indies at home, he averaged 47.3. And yet this guy was not opening the batting in a country where in 2020, at the start in January, he scored a century against Australia A in a pink ball test at the MCG. So I think that's the real fundamental thing to take away from this series and something which England, in my view, really have to review heading into the future. Picking your best players, they might not be the most aesthetically pleasing. They may not look beautiful. They may not look pretty or elegant when they're scoring runs. But the currency of any batting lineup is the number of runs that they score. It doesn't matter how they come. It's all about putting runs on the board. And this England side who failed to score 300-plus runs in 10 innings in this series, mm-hmm. desperately, desperately needs to take that on board to improve heading into the future. Yeah, you bring up a really good point there. And Lucy, I'm going to ask you this as well. Do you think that you know England just need batsmen in now? You know, like, you know, proper cricketers, really, not, not people who are going to score, you know, 70 runs off 100 balls or something like that. You, you want someone who's going to last until maybe about, you know, about six hours of the day to score maybe about 60 or 70. But at least then it's it's scoreboard pressure, isn't it? You know, and, and they're getting in and, well, like I said, they're just getting in and then 
you get further on, you get into innings, which we saw with Australia quite a lot. They dug a lot out early on. And when, once you earn the right to play your shots, you can play your shots, isn't it? Do you think England need to revert to that type? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you know, you want to pick a batsman because he can bat, not because he can put the gloves on afterwards or he can bowl a couple of overs as well. And I think mm. you've got that spot on, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll keep on with you, Lucy, about the ball inside of things because, to be fair, bar Jack Leach, the bowlers didn't do that badly. Um, you know, I thought Mark Wood had a superb series. You know, uh, didn't get as many wickets as what he probably deserved, to be honest. I mean, he got a six for in the last in the last test and in the third innings, and he was he was absolutely superb. And we saw a few kind of selection changes with, with Stuart Broad being in and out and. I thought Broad bowled really well, to be fair to him. And Walks, who came in, Walks, maybe not as well as what he thought, but probably bowling in Australia is not for him. But what's your kind of take on Broad not being in for the for the first test anyway when it looked like a pitch to suit him down the ground? Yeah, I remember waiting up, um, looking at the team, and I think we were chatting in the, um, the County Cricket Podcast group chat going, you know, why isn't Broad playing? Um, and I think... I don't really know what England selectors were thinking, but I think it was outrageous that he didn't play that first test. It was it was it was weird, wasn't it? Because like I said, the first test, and you want to get off to the best start possibly. You know, yeah, you know, even if if we lost and lost competitively, but surely you pick your best team for that first one. I know what they're saying, like they'll not last all five days. I want to keep Jimmy Anderson for the day and night. fair enough. You know what I mean? I think that's that's fair comment. But surely on the first test. You've got to pick your best side, and you've got to pick your most, you know, your most attacking baller line of the ballers who are going to get your wickets. Not, think, not, you know. As well, if you're not picking, if you're not picking Anderson, you you should pick Broad at yeah. least. If you're going to leave one of them out, if you're going to leave someone out, leave just one of them out. That's it. Especially if you're going to wait, um, wait for Jimmy to play the day nighters, then definitely put Broad in the first test. Yeah, yeah. Aaron, have you got an opinion on that one? Then I would agree with that. To yeah. be completely honest, I mean, look, Australia, look at the bowling attack that they went with. You know, Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, Cam Green in there as well. Like, you know, the, these are these are simple things. And again, they got overlooked. And even throughout the series, I, I go, I fast forward a bit here, apologies. But to the fifth test, there was a story again, came out in the media. I don't know how on earth this came out, but Ollie Robinson wasn't fully fit ahead yeah, of that fifth test. Me. Exactly. Yeah, he had back spasms. Craig Overton, the day before that test match, was in the nets preparing to get fully match fit. That's what he's doing. He's going through the motions, getting overs in the body. So he was ready to go the next day. And then on the day of the test match, Ollie Robinson declares himself fit, didn't do that day of preparation ahead of the match, and goes down on day one. Like, I don't know what on earth went on with the selection process in this series. And I said this on Twitter, actually, and some people disagreed with me, but... When it came to this series, we saw earlier on in the year against India, Ollie Robinson's fitness has been a bit of a concern. He looked absolutely exhausted after playing those four test matches. Mm -hmm. And yet England just kept on playing him again and again and again and again, not giving him any respite at all. And you could see with his bowling speeds, he was bowling 123 in most of the test matches. I just don't see why there wasn't this advanced foresight from the England coaches and of course, the, the players as well, in order, you know, in, in terms of, of team selection, in order to give yourself the best chance at each of these venues, it seemed very rushed. It seemed as though there wasn't that much planning that went into each bowling lineup in this series. 
And yeah, we got uh, we got punished as a result by a far superior Australia side who, you know, selected the right players. Look at Scotty Bolland. What a fantastic piece of selection that was. And, you know, it paid off. They won the series 4-0. Yeah, I mean, we'll go into the, we will give the Australians a bit of credit because as much as England were dire, I thought Australia, especially in the first three tests, were excellent. You know, I thought, obviously, the fourth one, the draw, it was a little bit more competitive, and especially in the last test, bar the, uh, the last couple of hours, I thought it was a really, really good test match, to be honest. But, you know, they've had their own, you know, little, bit, little bits of uh, public, bad publicity, really, with, uh, with what happened with Tim Payne. You know, they've dealt with it superbly, though, I mean... Alex Carey has come in, hasn't particularly, you know, batted well, but it's kept decently. But even even the nail on the head, in Scotty Bowen, I mean, Lucy Man, I've never heard of this lad, this lad before, you know, before he came, he comes in, but he comes in and he's got superb bowling stats. I mean, they've got they had the right players, the right, you know, players to come in as well at the right times. I mean, to be fair to them, they've been very, very good, haven't they? Yeah, definitely. Like you said about um, Scott Rowland, yeah, I think I think I'd heard of him. It was kind of like a Marna Slavishane type thing when Glamorgan signed him. I thought, right, I've heard of this guy, but who is he? <laughs> um, and then obviously watching him, you kind of like, oh right, okay, he, this is what he's doing, and he just sticks to it. Mm-hmm. And and even Travis Head, Aaron. I mean, I thought Travis Head was probably Australia's man of the series, really. And and to be fair, there's a fair few you could probably mention, but he has the the abilities just to take games away from uh, from teams, doesn't he? Well, he most certainly did, and he won the Man of the Series award. So, yeah, an apt choice there, to say the least, Dan, in terms of your selection there. He was absolutely magnificent. And considering that he averaged 18.3 with the bats in the 2021 County Championship, I'm going to be honest, I did not expect this at all from Travis Head. And then first game of the series at the Gabba, you want to get off to a, a blistering start, and he scores the third fastest century in Ashes history which is quite staggering. England and Australia have been playing and competing for the Ashes since 1882, and it's the third fastest of all time. So Travis Head, massive tick next to his name. He was absolutely superb. And just to pick up on the the Scott Bolland conversation, I have seen him for a number of years in Shield cricket for Victoria. MCG is his home ground. And Mm. it's quite ironic, really, that he is archetypally, okay, an English scene bowler. He's not ridiculously quick. He's tall, generates extra bounce, but he loves to utilise the wobble seam and the in-swing and out-swing. He'd be absolutely sensational on English wickets. And another really special thing about his inclusion for this series and obviously the six for at the MCG and Boxing Day, he's just the fourth Australian in history of Aboriginal descent to play for the men's test cricket team. So there was also that we saw such a focus on that this series with the barefoot circles, with the the welcome to the nation as well, the the speeches before each of the test matches started. What a story and what an average as well. 18 wickets at 9.55. It doesn't really get much better than that in a debut series. And, and the worst thing probably is about it, when Australia are fully strength, he's probably not in the team. You know, because Hazelwood's got to come in for somebody, hasn't he? And uh, they're not going to drop Pat Cummins. Obviously, I think he'll probably be the captain for, for years to come. I thought he did a great job, Aaron, considering it got put on him, what, two weeks before the first test. thought Cummins was superb. Uh, yeah, he missed one of them due to COVID. But, you know, all all all, all the way around, he, he picked the right fields. You know, he picked very good. Some of them were really like, kind of like out there thinking fields, really. But he picked... 
his such gameplay and game management was was superb. I thought for his first uh, for his first series, the national series as, as captain of the of the Australian side. Most certainly was, and and I think you've beautifully put that. To be honest, because it was inspired captaincy versus Joe Root's captaincy, which in this series was quite conservative. I think it was a, a clash of of captaincy styles and. Pat Cummins one just suits Australia right down to the ground. We know that this is their style. I know there hasn't been quite the the edge, the intensity, the sledging that we're used to from this Australian unit, but they like to be on the front foot. They like to apply the pressure. They're relentless. They don't give you any breathing space at all. And Pat Cummins, you know, he, he picked up the reins at what was quite a, an, well, I'm not going to say inopportune moment, but um, it was a bit spur of the moment. That's how I describe it. No yeah. one expected the whole Tim Payne thing before the series. And yet he just adapted to it like a duck to water. He was absolutely fantastic, leading from the front with the ball, got the key wickets to knee when his team needed him the most. And the field placements were superb. So again, Pat Cummins, you'd have to give him probably a 9 out of 10 for the yeah. series, if not a 10 out of 10, considering how new he was to test captaincy. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Lucy, do you think this is going to be a period of... Australia dominance, like what we saw in the uh, in the late nineties, which I unfortunately had to endure uh, up until two thousand and five, when uh, when you know the Michael Vaughan captained England were you know probably the best Ashes series ever. But you know in them late nineties, we were getting hammered, hammered, hammered all the time, and Australia was so dominant. Can can you see this being a, a period of dominance for Australia now against England? Um, I don't want to say it, but yes. Mm. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it was just it was just so bad for England. I feel like it's gonna take a while to come back from that. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But Joe Root has said, Aaron, that he wants to he wants to stay on, and I think that's probably the wise choice, you know, because there's there's no one really I would say come in to be captain or anything like that, but. Where does he go from here as a captain of England? Because there is going to be change. We'll, we'll probably talk about that later on. There's going to be change. You know, whether whether it's Silverwood who goes, you know, there's going to be probably a new battle line. There's probably going to be new bowlers to come in, which we are going to talk about very soon. But what does Joe Root have to do to kind of get the... to be a better captain, really? Because he's very much a, not a re very reactive captain, is he? I would agree with that to be honest. And it's a shame at the moment, isn't it? I mean, I wish there was someone competing for that captaincy spot because it, I think it'd bring out the best in Joe Root as the captain. At the moment, it all just seems so safe and so comfortable with him as the skipper. And look, I, I want Joe Root to do the absolute best. You know, he's, he's England's best player. He'll go down as one of our greatest ever with the bat in hand. But in terms of his captaincy, something which I've mentioned already is the word conservative. He plays it so, so safe. He sets T20 fields to spinners. He doesn't attack with the new ball enough against dominant oppositions. And I just feel like for the time being, he keeps on reverting back to these old bad habits. In 2020, when we played South Africa, there was one test match. I'll never, ever forget it. Second test of the series at Newlands. Rassi van der Dusen all day was frustrating the living daylights out of England. Just block, block, block strike rotation here and there, and he had one shot, and it was a release down the leg side. He was playing down to fine leg. And on that fifth and final day, it was a fantastic day. I recommend the highlights very, very much so. But on that final day, Broad, Anderson, Stokes and Root got in a meeting in the middle and put in a leg slip. 
And three balls later, mm-hmm. Jimmy Anderson at leg slip, snaffles the catch, it sparks a batting collapse, England win, absolute scenes at Newlands, and it sparked a change of momentum in that series. We didn't see anything like that in this series. And granted, it doesn't always work out. You can put in a leg slip, a short leg. You know, you can put in any of these these out-there positions, these outside-of-the-box positions. But I just feel like sometimes in Test cricket, you have to display that lateral thinking. And for the time being, at least in 2021, Joe Root hasn't shown that. So field placement, absolutely. And again, management of spinners. Mm-hmm. But that's something which he's now had three spin bowlers in Moeen Ali, Don Bess and Jack Leach and hasn't got the best out of any of them. So we'll have to wait and see what happens in that regard. Yeah, L- Lucy, we've, we've covered Joe Root. Um, I want to cover his vice-captain, Ben Stokes, who wasn't fit. You know, we, we, he came off he came off two of the uh, of the tests with one side injury. And I think it was at his knee on the first one. I know he, he, he came off for long periods of time anyway. Didn't bowl anywhere near as many of us as what we want Ben Stokes to ball, but he was all right with the bat. Um, you know, he, he scored a couple of a couple of half centuries, never mind that, and still looked you not know, a swashbuckling Ben Stokes. Long term with Ben Stokes, we've seen him injured quite a lot. You know, he had a finger injury most of last year. He's hurt his shoulder a couple of times. Do you see Stokes long term being a specialist batsman and easing off the ball and? Um, in that case, we're probably going to have to bring another bowler in. Or do you think he can get back to the all-rounder as what he was, you know, three or four years ago? I think he probably could, but I think England will keep him bowling. And let's go back to what I said earlier about England filling roles with certain people. I think they'll push the whole all-rounder thing on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope he becomes more of a batting all-rounder, and like we see, like we saw this time, bowling less overs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm moving for me. I'm moving him up one. I'm there. Uh, I know Root hates batting at three, but I'm moving Root to three and Stokes to four. That's that's just me. But um, so we've, yeah, so we'll go on to Chris Silverwood. Aaron, I'm afraid. Um, not a great, not a great tour for him. You know, obviously he missed one due to COVID, but he's been made, you know, coach and chief selector, which Lucy's put put you know put across really well a couple of times now. You know, joints, you know, joint roles for people and everything like that. I mean. It hasn't worked, has it? You know, his, his tenure is probably over, I would say. Yeah, it, it does appear that way. And it's a shame because for all intents and purposes, at least from what I've been told from people who have worked under Silverwood, from people who played with him as well in his county days, he is a lovely bloke. But in terms of that step up from county to international cricket, this isn't just from a playing perspective, but the coaching as well, the pressure amps up by a, fact, by a factor of about 1,000, if not 10,000, knowing the expectations of the English fan base. And I just felt like in 2019, when he took over from Trevor Bayliss, and England had that next generation, didn't we? The Dom yeah. Sibleys, Dan Lawrence, Zach Crawley, Ollie Pope, Dom Bess. I was really excited. And that team got off to such a fantastic start, winning in South Africa. We won against Pakistan, won against the West Indies. Let's not forget in 2021, we also won 2-0 in Sri Lanka, which is nothing to, to sweep under, under the carpet. New Zealand lost to them in 2019, and they're the current World Test champions. And then after that series, the India tour, for me, was the catalyst. I felt like at that moment, that was Chris Silverwood's first taste of adversity in the England role. And instead of backing these youngsters, instead of backing the likes of Sibley, Don Best, Dan Lawrence... He almost turned on them, 
well, not turn on them so much as, as throwing them under the proverbial bus, but he didn't give them the backing. And I just felt like that, for me, was the key moment. You had a four-year vision mm-hmm. for these players. We were going to be competitive from 2019 to 2021 in the Test Championship, and we were. We finished fourth. Let's not forget that. We had a decent time of it. But he gave up those potential four years, that transitional period, to save face and potentially to try and save his job by bringing back the likes of Dawid Milan and Johnny Bairstow and Moeen Ali, to name but a few. And in hindsight, probably the wrong decision because now it's not a case of you've got that transitional phase to, to fall back on. You can't say, oh, we're building for the future because we're not. We've gone back to what we were under Trevor Bayliss in 2018. So in terms of his future... Oh, I don't know. I genuinely don't know if we're even going to see him in the West Indies. No, I'd be personally getting on the phone to Gary Kirsten, which is what I would have done originally. But um, you know, that's probably for another day. But we'll um, we'll fast forward. We're gonna we'll go to June of 2022. Now, England take on New Zealand, um, and we've also got India coming over for for some tests. So we'll get back to good old British British tests. Um, I'm going to give you both three players that these, you know, that our viewers, may, our viewers, our listeners may not know about or whatever. You know, you guys, you know, you do the county cricket podcast. You know, you eat, sleep, breathe, and bleed cricket. All right, I'm going to mention. I'm going to bring up Alex Lees for one, but if I'm going to give you three players you want to see from the county scene come in to the England setup, change everything around, really, who who would be your three? We'll start with Lucy first. Um, uh, definitely Ben Fuchs. I think I'd bring him back in. Um, who else would I bring in? Um, gosh. Um, I think someone mentioned Chris Dent earlier. I'm guessing that was me, considering that, that, that I, yeah. I've, been, I've been leading yeah. that campaign to get Dent in the England side um, for years. Yeah, we've been saying about him for a while. Um, probably him. And um, trying to think who else is about trying to think about podcasts who we've had on. Um, oh, I can think of one. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned him from oh, Gloucester. Uh, yeah, James Bracey. Yeah, I bring him up. Um, definitely worth in that top order. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Aaron, we'll go for your three. I've got I've got three as well, so I'm going to be uh, I'm going to compete with you as well. <laughs> Goodness me! See, this is the problem. I'm struggling to find three because I can name you about twenty. <laughs> genuinely, are a lot. Down a bit, yeah. There's a lot in county <laughs> cricket, and, and James Brace is a great shout. And people will go, oh, but he's only got a test average of three point six six. Batting at number seven, he's not a number seven. He's a mm. number three, which is where he has excelled for Gloucestershire. He scored a century for the Lions in Brisbane against Australia A as well. So James Bracey definitely in, in with a shout there. I have to I have to say Matt Parkinson. I think if England are going to go for an attacking leg spinner, if this is the opportunity for Joe Root to say, you know what, I'm going to start putting in these attacking fields, short legs, leg slips, silly points, silly mid on, silly mid off, whatever. Matt Parkinson is the ideal spin option. And I'd be on the phone to Dane Villas, just asking for some tips and tricks with regards to how best to use him. So Matt Parkinson, I want to see him in this year's uh, in this year's series against New Zealand and India in the one-off tests at Edgebaston. That'll be interesting. And South Africa beyond that. So plenty of opportunities. In terms of one final one, 
I think Alex Lee's great shout averages over 30. Excellent, gritty character from Durham. Absolutely love him to bits. Skippers being the lines as well. I will choose Josh Bohannon. Now, he's not an opener. And in my opinion, I think he'd be in the middle order for the time being. But Josh Bohannon possesses such an amazing skill set. I really do think he has such a high ceiling for the England Test team. He averages 44 in first-class cricket, which is no mean feat at all in English conditions. That puts him in real elite company in this country. And there was one knock in particular this summer, Warwickshire versus Lancashire. Warwickshire were all over Lancs. I thought we were going to beat them within three days. And for those who know of the Cows Cricket Podcast, Joe is uh, is our co-host. He's a Lancashire fan and I was ready to rub it in. I was ready to give it all large. Josh Bohannon out of absolutely nowhere scores 170 on a really, really tough track at Old Trafford. So for me, my three choices would be um, obviously Matt Parkinson. He would be up there. I suppose with that uh, that logic, I'd go Josh Bohannon. And the third one, we'll say James Bracey, but I'll also throw in someone else, and that's Tom Abel. I know it's not that's not three picks, but Tom Abel is an interesting one as well. Currently got an injury sustained from the Big Bash from his time in Brisbane, but that boy's special. And he possesses some really good leadership characteristics as well. So we'll have to wait and see. But all I'll say, there's options. There are options. Yes. County cricket really isn't that limited. It's just uh, you have to... I've got a I've got a complete different three. I'm, I'm going to take Alex Lee's to one side. Okay. Yeah, and we're going to park park them over there. Um, you know, I'm a Durham lad, so it's it is a little bit of like you know when when England were back in, back in a few years ago when I was back at Jermaine Defoe for England and all that. You know, it's it's total bias. <laughs> but listen, the, the stats kind of back it up. But I'm going for another opener in Phil Salt from Lancashire. You know, just because I think we kind of, I'm all for getting a proper cricketer in, opening up with him, you know, and I like Crawley there, and I think Crawley can do that. You know, he can play the extravagant shots, but he can also stay in, which I really like about him. Phil, Sop, Phil Scott, Phil Salt is the total opposite, isn't he? I mean, he's such a brash opener. And I wouldn't mind, you know, just seeing England maybe, I mean, I know they tried it with uh, Jason Roy a few years, well, against Australia, wasn't it, a few years ago, and it didn't work. Um, but, you know, give Salt maybe, you know, a run of 10 or 10 or 12. Give him a year at opening up and I guarantee I reckon he'll get a few hundreds. You know, yeah, he might be on first ball a couple of times and everything like that, but I think he'll take games away from people quite early on. Um, Bowling-wise, I've got to put Saki Mahmood in. I think he... Um, I thought he was excellent in the um, the one-day series when they all got COVID and Stokes had the captain that side and obviously... Um, Another Durham lad, Brian Cast came in did very well as well, but he's got a really bad knee injury, so I don't think this year is going to be for him. I think it's all about getting back to getting back to where he was. Um, and I'm throwing a bit of an out there one, another bowler, but a bowler that I think can give you the pace, the bounce that we that we were missing by Mark Wood, and that's Tom Helm from Middlesex. Oh, that is a that's uh, an outside of the box shout. Yeah, I just think he's got he's got decent. You know, his average his average is thirty one point eight six for wickets. It's not bad, um, but he's one of them ones where you take the South Africa. They're going to have you know pitches to to suit bounce, suit a bit of pace. We're relying a lot on Mark Wood, I think, at the minute. You know, obviously James Anderson's not going to go to South Africa next year. You know, that, that's that's be that a series. The guys, you know, he's been a legend for us, but he's he's probably not going to tour again. Um, I hope he does, but I just can't see it. And maybe we just need to have a look at the right pitches for the right players, like we've said before there. You know, 
we didn't have Broad in for the for the right pitch for him. You know, we didn't have these the back up the correct backups. You know, we took Craig Overton. I mean, no, you know, there's got to be someone else, hasn't there? You know what I mean? Um, so I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'm gonna go for Tom Helm. I think. Um, so they're my three. But what we'll get on to now is yes, England can bring in as many players as they want to change everything, right? But for me. They're not playing enough proper cricket, as in the four-day cricket they get. The four-day cricket in, in England has been put to one side for probably the last, I would say, the last 10 years now. You know, the, the T20 franchise, is it brings the crowds in. Yeah, right, fair enough. But is it cricket? You know, there's arguments on that, isn't there? The 100 came in last year and... You know, as a biased point of view, I was a little bit upset that Durham didn't have a chance to be, you know, have something up here. You know, like, and I could have been uh, just the, off the top of my head, like the, the Geordie Nation or all that crap, even though I wouldn't have gone in support of that. But, the, you know, if I wanted to go and watch a 100 game, I had to travel all the way down to Leeds. And, you know, it just wasn't for me. Plus, I didn't think, if you're going to have a franchise T20, have a franchise T20, don't mix it up with 100 balls which it doesn't fit anywhere but anyway <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm going on a tangent I shouldn't um, Lucy I'll ask you this first what does the ECB need to do to bring the four day game back into the four to stop things like this happening again to stop us from talking in four years time if we're all still speaking to each other to stop us from talking again saying England have lost another series in Australia they've been absolutely hammered because this isn't the first time that, that this has happened I'm sure it won't be the last but something has got to change I think I'm going to drop an hour in you and say I actually don't know the answer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, going back to what I said earlier, I think it's just giving red ball cricket definitely a priority. Um, playing it in the peak of summer, not giving it you know the, the start of the season and then taking a break for all the money to come in when the sun's shining and having T20, mm. 50 over cricket, fun cricket as non-cricket fans call it. Um, and then bringing it back in September, you know, and mm. keeping keeping it that system for the past however many years they've been doing it. Yeah, I mean, Aaron, I'll ask you this one, right? You see, see we've got Parkinson, right? And, and I agree, Parkinson's a superb spinner, you know, but he's bowling on four-day on four day games, bowling in April and in September, when the ball, the best win in the world, is not going to spin. I mean, it's still minus two degrees in the morning in April sometimes, you know, especially up here, it's bloody freezing, you know what I mean? So, like... Why aren't England just saying, right, we're gonna we're gonna trial this for a couple of years, your hundred's gonna be first, get it out of the way, you know, get that you know, I, I don't wanna swear because it costs us fifty pence a goal, but get that shit out of the way. We're gonna put the T twenty as the end of season kind of kind of hurrah and everything like that, right? That's gonna be you know, the end of season bit of fun. Bit of fun at the end of the year after the tests are finished and everything like that, just to you know, you've had a you had a good summer, go and hit some shots, go and enjoy yourself. And why don't they just trial in June and July, proper four-day weather, bit of spin, bit of crumbling pitches, you know, nice batting weather and everything like that, to give these young batsmen coming in a chance to bat on proper wickets and to give these spin bowlers and even fast bowlers, as well as a bit of bounce and a bit of nip, a chance to hone their skills a bit, you know what I mean? Because of money. That's what it all boils down to at yeah. the end of the day. That's exactly what it is. You know, the hundred... And I, I don't want to get into the debate because as people who, who know the podcast, I'm not for the men's hundred. The women's hundred, I do have slightly different opinions. I think it could be a good catalyst yeah, for the yeah. women's game in this country. But when you just look into the the origin 
of the men's hundred there's things with me that don't quite sit right and that's why i'm against it as well as the the marginalization of county cricket as well i'm, I'm definitely not not for that as the host of the county cricket podcast i think the problem with that and it sounds brilliant in theory and i'd absolutely love that and i think a lot of more traditional fans would love to have the height of summer as the red ball window but again with the ecb they do have to make money the 100 makes a lot more money the t20 plus makes a lot more money and they are going to prioritize those for the school holidays it's interesting that we're having this conversation because the other day on twitter someone who i have great respect for is a somerset fan by the name of dan kingdom he's part of a somerset podcast absolutely brilliant podcast as well thoroughly recommend you check it out it's called always look on the bright side of life but he he gave us some fantastic stats in terms of the number of days in the height of summer, so between the 16th of June and the 16th of August in the UK, where county championship cricket is being played. So in 2000, between the 16th of June and the 16th of August, as a, as a combined and aggregate, 224 days of county championship cricket being played across all of those 18 counties. In 2004, so the year after the T20 Blast came in, that reduced to 172. If we fast forward to 2021, with the advent of the 100, that is now sitting at 68 days in the height of summer. 68. That is a tremendous, tremendous decline in the number of days being given to Red Bull cricket at the height of summer, where conditions are at their best. Yeah. So for me, the real key thing in that regard, and it's not the only issue, let's be honest, there's other things which need to be put into place to, to solve other problems. But in, with regards to that specific issue, scheduling. And we'll find out tomorrow, the, the fixture's being released on the 20th of January 2022. So we'll find out. But according to rumours, there's five rounds of championship cricket between June and August. So I suppose in that regard, we do have to give them some credits they are beginning to realise that and, and give it a proper window as opposed yeah. to 2021. I'll kind of ask you both of this, uh, this question, to be honest. I mean, we've seen like, this year in Australia that the BBL are on at the moment. And Australia, the Australian um, Cricket Board have kind of sacrificed the BBL this year because the Ashes have been on the same time. So you're looking at like you're looking at the two the two England England sides. Obviously, part part Sunderland who did start the BBL came across to uh, replace Josh Butler for for England. But they've kind of kind of sort of raised the BBL is a great competition for them. They bring in bring, I can imagine that brings in a hell of a lot of money. I can imagine you know I I remember watching it a couple of years ago. The stadiums were absolutely full. Obviously with with COVID and everything like that, they couldn't have done it this year. But They've said, right, we're focusing on our test side. These guys can't play. Would it benefit kind of the ECB to maybe in the next Ashes test run the T20 alongside the Ashes and say, right, you can't pick said, said, said player. They're going to be playing for England in the Ashes, so you can't have them. You can't have these Australian guys to come in. And then that kind of just says, right, we're going to give the test side a bit of an advantage, which is what Australia have done. You know, they've gave them that advantage of you don't have to worry about that. You know, you just focus on what you're doing instead of saying that, like, that likes to draw a route who plays pretty much all formats. Focus on your test, your bread and butter, your batting and your test cricket. Do you think that would work? 
Well, I'll, I'll answer that first, if you don't mind, Lucy. Yeah, no problem. In 2019, we did actually run the T20 Blast alongside. Uh, we, we played it from August to September, which is when the Ashes were. After the World Cup, I think the real key thing and something which is important to take away from that, Ant, is, is preparation beforehand. If you look at the Australians this time around, what did they play before the Ashes? And it's the Sheffield Shield. If you mm -hmm. compare that to what England have done for the past couple of series, it's been the 100 this year and the T20 Blast beforehand. That, that doesn't help. And, and people will say, you know, I think Graham Thorpe actually said in an interview, it's a good way for them to unwind, relax and, and get, you know, that feeling of bat and ball. But it's a completely different beast playing a yeah. T20 match for your county compared to playing in what is arguably the biggest test series of them all. I mean, as I said, so much history, tradition, pedigree, passion, which is associated with this series. And you can see that with the reaction and, and all of the fallout from this series. It's massive. It means so much to us here in this country. So for me, again, it comes down to prep. And that's something that we do need to, to take on board, right? When you look at England this year, they had two intra-squad games. Both are rained out due to the weather in Brisbane. We had a game against the Lions and it lasted for a day and a half. Again, it wasn't ideal prep, and that was because of COVID. We mm. couldn't play the likes of, of Queensland or Victoria or New South Wales as we would in a normal Ashes series. But definitely looking ahead before a home summer, we have to play some Red Bull cricket. And even if they are, even if they have got franchise commitments with 100 or other franchise leagues, the test side takes precedent in this country. It's our biggest form of revenue for the ECB. So yeah. that would be my advice. Prepare them well get them playing Red Bull cricket, and that's all you can do. And then what happens in the series happens, but at least they're going in there with the best preparation possible. Yeah. Lucy, if you were in front of the BCB now, what would you say then? Apart from swear words. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really good question. Um, oh, there is a lot. <laughs> um, gosh, where would I start? I don't even know. Probably just, you know, what you're doing you need to be prioritising cricket and going back to what cricket was because if you still want to be playing tests, you want to be playing more red ball cricket. Mm. Um, whereas if the Ashes was a T20 series, then you'd want to be playing T20 all the time. But, you know. Yeah, we, we just want to avoid this again and stop being like you know a laughing stock i think um but we'll 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 we'll, we'll end on england now and um, obviously we've got these both on obviously big cricket fans county fans as well and as um as Aaron very well pointed out the um the fixes get released tomorrow so um i'm guessing by his accent she's a Glamorgan fan um I, I, aaron i'm sure you said before you're warwickshire yeah I'm, I'm glad that it's taken so long actually am because usually with the podcast People pick up on it after about two minutes and then it's always Warwickshire bias, Warwickshire bias. And that gets held <laughs> against me, so I appreciate that. That's all right. I've done Durham bias for the last 50 years of my life. That's 15 years of my life, so that's all right. Wrong with it. Great <laughs> might have just had. I went up there this year to the Riverside for uh, the T20 Blast. We lost, but may I just say the Durham faithful, absolutely class. Riverside, beautiful place. Mm. Cannot recommend that club enough. I was Bring at that game as well, actually. Was that when Beddingham just went mental? Yeah, and, and Ben Stokes as well yeah. with the ball. I think it was his first game back, if I'm not mistaken. Or second, sorry. He played against North Ants the game before. and Yeah, yeah typical that. <laughs> so, but, but basically, obviously, we'll, we'll go on to the count. I mean, what, Lucy, I'll ask you this first. What are you looking forward to for the Glamorgan side of things? Do you think they'll have a, a good season? Have they brought anyone in over the winter to, to help out? 
Yeah, so on paper they're looking really good this year. Um, they've brought in um, is it Sam Northeast? Oh yes, um, yes. They've obviously got um, oh uh, what's his name Eddie Eddie Byram. Yeah, from Somerset. Yeah, from yeah. from Somerset. Yeah. Um, who else have they signed? This and season? the overseas. I mean, you got Michael Nisa back. Marlis, yeah, exactly. of course, yeah, number one yeah. ranked batter. Oh, is the lab um, coming back as well? Is he? Lab's yeah. coming back. We've also got. Um, <laughs> who else have we? Got? We've also signed um, Andy Govan as well, who played um, a bit of a vital part in the uh, Royal London One Day Cup. So, obviously, with their win last year as well, I'm looking forward to them trying to get that again. So. Mm. Is James Wheel still there? He, uh, yes, I believe he is. Is yes. he? Oh, he's external. He was awful for Durham. <laughs> he's like, uh, he's like what? Um, like on a football analogy, when you've sold someone who hasn't been very good and then has a really good game against you. He was amazing in the in the in the Royal London in the fifty overs game, wasn't he? In the final, bless him. But uh, yeah, so I don't think you for for Warwickshire. Are you expecting a good season? And have have you guys brought anyone in to raise well, a few eyebrows? Well, we have, um, which is massive for me, as I alluded to him beforehand. My one of my co-host alongside Lucy is a Lancashire fan Joe and uh, not only did we bring in a Lancashire player we brought in his favourite player Alex oh. Davis um, who's been an absolute star in county cricket for the last decade so he will be a massive addition for the Bear and Ragged staff heading into this season Carlos Brathwaite is T20 captain as well massive massive signing and Jacob Bethel I know Ant you wanted us to do to talk about some players to watch out for mm. currently England under 19's vice captain He's been sensational, scored 44 the other day against Bangladesh. This boy is 18 years old, and I, I kid you not, he's probably the most talented cricketer I've ever seen under the age of 20. I've had Jake Lintot tell me that he's the most talented 15-year-old he's ever seen a couple of years back. Dan Mousley as well saying he's the most talented 17-year-old. He's now 18, and he's just not stopping. He's got such a fantastic skill set, the definition of a three-dimensional cricketer. So... Honestly, I fancy Warwickshire's chances to compete across all formats this year. I think we've got some really good strength in depth. We've got a good batting lineup, excellent bowlers. That seam attack, if fully fit, Craig Miles, Liam Norwell, Oliver Handorby, Ollie Stone, Chris Wokes, if he's back from, from England duty, Jake Lintot in the T20s, Danny Briggs, Manraj Johal. Right, there's so many brilliant options for, for the first time in about three or four years, I'd say, with Warwickshire, because we've had to rebuild. I'm heading into this season with some relative confidence and with Mark Robinson, Don Robbo, as we know him on the podcast, at the helm. I think that Warwickshire should have a good 2022, but we'll have to wait and see. Anything can happen in county cricket. We saw that this year, didn't we? Warwickshire winning the championship for the first time in nine years. Glamorgan winning a trophy for the first time in 17. And Kent as well, the Spitfires on finals day. First T20 blast since 2007. So bring it on. I can't wait for this season. It's got all the makings of a fascinating, fascinating season in 2022. And yet, if you can go and support your counties, support them. That's yeah. all I'd say. Division 1, Division 2 as well this year. Right, you've got the likes of Mohamed Rizwan, Shaheen Shahafridi, Marnus Labashain, Ollie Robinson, Joffre Archer. Division 2 is stacked, as is Division 1. So just get down to your counties, support your team. And yeah, I, I, I guarantee you'll enjoy yourself in county cricket this summer. You didn't mention any, you didn't mention David Bellingham there in, uh, in, in Division 2. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to get promoted. Highest run scorer of last year, wasn't it? It was in my Jake Libby. I know, I know Bedders was, was winning 
towards the last couple of games and then he went really off the boil. But um, yeah, I mean, you've absolutely nailed that, to be honest with you. I think it's going to be a great, great season. I mean, uh, as word of right now, as word of right, I don't think Durham have signed anybody yet. But um, you know, we've got, like I said, you know, I've, I've mentioned before, Bedders who who is eligible to play for England in two years' time. So there we go. <laughs> he might be a surprise contender. Um, um, I, don't, I don't want to rain on your parade. Um, we actually know about David Beddingham because myself and Lucy we do stuff with a South African publication called yeah. Cricket Fanatics Magazine. He wants to play for South Africa. I know, Africa. I've, I've heard him say that, but there might be a few people in there in in the Riverside who might bend his ear a little bit. Don't, don't worry about that. Rushy. Uh, he needs to get Rushy in there. Get best, some words in his ear. Best player never to play for England, Chris Rushworth. There we go. Um, absolute legend. Um, I know Rushy really well, and... Uh, I don't think he listens to this, but you know he's got his own he's got his own little podcast actually, which is brilliant. Um, so yeah, if you can give that a listen if uh, anybody wants to. But yeah, I mean, I just hope Durham are just competitive. That's all we want, really. We're never going to win the T Twenty. Just knock it on the head. We don't like it, you know. Knocking on the head. We've never been good at T Twenty. So we, we'll. Uh, there a few years ago. Oh, sure. 2016, <laughs> you made the final. Yeah, we lost though. <laughs> We've never yeah. won it yet. <laughs> never won it. Been go- I think we've only been to finals day three times out of oh, how many years has been going on now? Next, end of 18 year now? Yes, yeah, so 2003. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is the 18th year and uh, yeah. We've uh, we've been to finals day three times. So that, that just sums it up. But um Tell you what, guys, that's enough for cricket for now. Um, thanks so much for, uh, for for chatting about that and the Ashes in the county championship. It's it's just wet the appetite for a bit of summer, a bit of nice weather, a bit of cricket. And you know, I know what what you suppose said. If if you're at a loss and you know if you if you're off work during a week and you, your team's got a four day game on, get yourself down. You might it might surprise you. You know what I mean? And that's what's going to get you know England at the end of the day, England back back to where they were, bums on seats because it generates the cash that kind of gets these academy players further up the field. I mean, you look at the likes of Durham who have produced so many county uh, England cricketers over the years. Um, I mean, I haven't probably named you 10 straight away, so it, it can't happen. So, fingers crossed, get yourselves down. Hopefully the summer's as warm as what it has been last couple of years and we don't lose that many days. But I'm going to bring Gary in because Gary's been so patient bless him because cricket's not his favourite sport so we're going to mention the the big football um, story of the weekend um, Aaron and Lucy feel free to come on this as well uh, should you so wish uh, we're going to talk about um, our, our favourite manager Gary Rafa Benitez is, he's been sacked as, as manager of Everton last in nine months uh, something like that not very long um, but he's uh, another stat to come he's Everton's uh, second shortest reign manager uh, since Premier League started. Can you name the first? Oh, you're putting us on the spot there, aren't you? Um, didn't expect that question. Like, um, I actually can't. I can't think of it. Would you like a clue? I would give us a clue then. Ex ex Sunderland manager. David Moyes. Not David Moyes. Cause Moyes no, not David Moyes. No, not him. That's the first person came to my head there. Uh, the one before David Moyes. Oh, you, God, you're coming back here right like, now. Right, it's Sam Allardyce, right? Oh, I'll tell you what, Sam. you won this bloody quiz because I knew you were cheating. I knew you were cheating in that quiz. It wasn't. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so Rafa's gone. Um, you know, we spoke about this quite early on. Um, in well, Quite early on, quite late on of last year when he came in. It, it hasn't worked, has it? I mean, he got off to a good start, but it was doomed from the beginning, wasn't it? I mean, 
it was just a bad appointment. Yeah, he, he always, from the get-go, always had the fans against him due to his relationship with Liverpool. And losing Ancelotti to Real Madrid was a blow because he was most likely their best reputable manager in a long, long time. But I don't know if you saw uh, Soccer Sunday um, where Jamie Redknapp said Rafa has a history of causing chaos at clubs. In a way, he is kind of right. Um, you know, you, you can take Newcastle towards the end of his tenure. He was turning around saying he wants to stay at the club. But, you know, at the same time, he was also pricing the board out of out of them keeping him. Um, therefore, you know, he was kind of creating, you know, a bit of relationship where the fans were hating on Mike Ashley like they always have, which is fair enough because he's a douchebag. Um, and Rafa was kind of like playing the fans against him and then the board playing the fa- against the fans and so forth. Has a history of doing that. Kind of got the vibe that he was, you know, doing the same things at Everton, which wasn't really you know, working in his favour as such and um it just it wasn't it wasn't the right fit, um, getting Rafa Benitez in. And, and in all honesty, the day Rafa Benitez went to DL Pro in China and they did terrible, he left. He you know, he would have made a brilliant wedge out of that and now then he should have probably just went off into the sunset and enjoyed his life in Spain in all honesty. I don't think he should have um came back to to the Premier League when I think his tactics are a bit outdated, especially when you've got teams like Liverpool who are playing gang and press football and it's it's exciting to watch. And to be quite frank, Everton's really boring to watch. But that's just my opinion. Um but again the chairman as well, you know, he has a, a habit of causing chaos in that club. Um, if he doesn't like someone he gets rid of them. Um I don't think he cares what the fans think. In all honesty, I don't think the players that have been signed, uh, you know, the Ukrainian lad, Metvalenko, uh, Patterson, El Ghazi, I don't feel like they're Rafa's players because why would you sign three players and then give that manager half the transfer window and then sack him to get another manager in? Um, doesn't That doesn't make sense to me, but he, he wasn't the right fit for the job in the first place. No, I mean, uh, Aaron will, will ask you this one. Obviously, Duncan Ferguson's come in as an interim basis. There's been Roberto Martinez has been mentioned. Um, Wayne Rooney's been mentioned. Frank Lampard's been mentioned. I mean, who did they go to next? Because uh, it's a bit of a poison chalice, I would say, because I don't know if the money's there because they're spending all that money on the new stadium coming up. Well, that, that's just the problem. Who comes in for Everton? I mean, Big Dunk is back. I know that he's a popular figure amongst the Everton faithful, but let's be honest, Everton in, in English football, I almost said English cricket then, <laughs> in, in English football, they are one of the big clubs. I know that in recent years, they haven't been quite at the races, but you just look at the the fan base they have. Goodison is an iconic stadium as well. And you think back if we go in, what, 60, 70 years, they were a real major player yeah. in English football. And nowadays, they're just a shadow of themselves. When you When you think of the city of Liverpool, you think Liverpool Football Club. You don't think of Everton anymore. And that's something which has got to change. And that isn't just with the manager. That's That comes with the board. That comes with signings. That comes with, you know, a fresh approach at the club. It's desperately needed. You know, they've been so mediocre for years, haven't they, Everton, considering where they were in their heyday. In terms of managers, <laughs> obviously, Duncan Ferguson, he's the interim. In terms of long term, I don't see Frank Lampard taking the job. I'm just going to be honest, I don't think he's experienced enough, in my personal view. I think with Wayne Rooney as now, as as well, sorry, as of right now, he's very invested with Derby. 
So out of those those major candidates, Roberto Martinez probably the most likely, and I think Thierry Henry might be the assistant coach. Mm. So that'll be interesting. I think Everton will go with that. But aside from the manager, something needs to change at that yeah. football club. Problem with Martinez is though he left under like a, a grey cloud. Um, and the fans are very, very divided over him. He's done a good job at Belgium, but then there's the argument with Belgium that he's had the golden generation of Belgian players but didn't win anything. So it's a double-edged sword with Martinez. Yeah. Uh, Lucy, uh, we'll, we'll ask you this one. Is, is that Rafa done now for the Premier League, do you think? Yeah, I think. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I agree. One word, one word answer. I'll be fine with that one because I totally agree. I totally agree. But yeah, I mean, Everton, Everton, Everton. I mean, they're just they're, they're one of those teams that I, I don't want to say sleeping giant because I don't think they are, you know, because like it's like what Aaron, Aaron's just pointed out there. Like the last 10, 11 years, they've done very little. They're just there, aren't they? They're like, they're a bit like, I don't, I don't really know like what currently were, you know, like all these years ago. Currently, were just, they were then. I don't mean to be. Horrible to currently, but currently never did anything in the Premier League. They just survived for all these years. You know, the nice 14th, 15th place, and that was then they were happy with it. It eventually went out. I mean, how do you think Everton will get sucked into this relegation battle? I mean, obviously, Watford won. Uh, no, they didn't. They drew at the weekend. Norwich won at the weekend. They beat Everton, and that was that was it for Rafa. I mean, they're not a million miles away. I think they're only about six, seven points away from it. Can easily get sucked into a relegation dogfight, and that's the last thing you want a new manager to come into. Exactly. And I agree with that. And for those saying that it won't happen, you'd be surprised. You'd genuinely be surprised how quick football changes, how quickly things spiral out of control. They could well be there. Another few defeats, whatever happens at the bottom of that Premier League table could, you know, determine that. And they could be sucked in. And as soon as you're in there, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough in particular against the likes of Burnley and Newcastle, who, as we all know, very scrappy teams. They're going to fight for every single point now. They know they're in a dogfight. If Everton gets sucked into that, it's going to be very, very difficult indeed. Again, though, the problem that I have with Everton at the moment, they clearly have some very talented players. Richarlison, for me, is the... is the ta- I don't know why I said it like that. Richarlison? Richarlison is the talisman. <laughs> I, I, I pronounce him like he's some Serie A player, but Richarlison <laughs> is their, their talisman. They've got some really good players in there, but I don't know. There's just something in that dressing room, and I don't think it's just Benitez. For a long time... They don't seem like a team with good chemistry. And I think that will come back to bite them, not just this season, but potentially heading into the future. And that is something which, again, needs to be resolved. So, fingers crossed for the Everton fans, they're not going to get relegated. I hope that they don't, because they have been a regular fixture in the Prem for years now. And uh, aside from this year, where, funny enough, we lost. I'm an Arsenal fan. We're, we're the only team that they've beaten in, what, like 16 or 17 games. It's ridiculous that it's us <laughs> on Monday no, it's night. always Arsenal, isn't it? Bless them. <laughs> it, it is. We have absolutely no luck on Monday night. But, yeah, if they do get suckered in, my goodness, that will be very, very interesting Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, and, and, Gary, obviously, I know you've been um, watching the African combinations. We've seen a massive surprise uh, last night, I think it was, Ghana getting knocked out, one of the big favourites of the competition have lost. They're out now. Um, judging on the first week, who would you have as, as the favourites to win? 
Cameroon, definitely Cameroon. I mean, Vincent Abubakar is in unreal form. Um, you look at their team, and you know they've got some key players. Uh, Andre Onana is is back from suspension. Uh, one of the best goalkeepers in the world on on his day, Onana. Um, you know Abubakar up front, twenty nine years old. Um, has ability. I mean, those down the road probably still need a striker, and maybe look at him. Uh, Toko Akambi as well in good form. I mean, I think they're the only two players that have scored for Cameroon, but generally as a whole, obviously the host nation as well. To me, they just look like a really, really solid team. I don't feel like Egypt has hit the footing as of yet. I think they're winning at the moment, though. Um, but, you know, more Salah can carry any team. I mean, he's proved that with, with Liverpool. I mean, last two games, Liverpool have just not looked a, looked, looked the part without Manny and Salah. Um, Minamino's came in, you know, he's trying his best, but they, they, they just missed Salah and Manny. Um I think uh, Papua New Guinea is playing okay football. I mean, Naby Keita is playing all right for them. Um, but for me, it's got to be Cameroon. That's going to win it. Yeah, cool, cool. So um, our final topic of the of the week will be um, our rank of the now, Baller and Bordick of the week. Um, Lucy, you've been on before, so you know exactly what's going on. But Aaron's a new a new member of the pod. So we'll, um, basically what it is, is we, have, we go through our sportsman or sports team or anything really. Who's had a good day. And someone who's had a bad day, uh, a week, sorry, good week, bad week, sorry about that. <laughs> they can't really say good day and bad day, I don't even know what's going on today. Um, but it, it has to be sports, but it can't be, you know, like, it can't be Boris Johnson, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> even though he's had a really, really bad week, bless him. Um, but, yeah, so Aaron, we'll start with you um, for your baller. Right, baller, I, I'm not going to go cricket, actually. I'm going to go a little bit outside of the box. I'm going to go Emma Raducanu. Because yeah. she absolutely dominated Sloane Stevens. There was a lot of talk. I think she hadn't done too well heading into, you know, the lead-up events of the Australian Open. And then what a way to to kickstart that tournament. So, baller for me, definitely Emma Raducanu. She yeah. was absolutely fantastic. And, yeah, oh, goodness, who struggled this week? I'll tell you what, I'd agree with Gary Garner yesterday. Just completely imploded against Comoros. It was 3-2. That red card... Of, uh, of Andre Ayew. <laughs> I don't know what they saw there, but that was a completely fair tackle, in my opinion, and I'm a goalkeeper, mm. so I'm not being biased. But Ghana, you know, they've, they've struggled in this tournament. One point at the bottom of Group A in the Africa Cup of Nations. That is shocking, genuinely. So I'm going to go with, with Ghana. The only silver lining of that as an Arsenal fan, we get Thomas Partey back, so... Uh, Every cloud. I hear he's cloud. changed his name to Thomas Work event now, though. <laughs> that was a great thing on Twitter the other day with this football sticker. Lucy, we'll, we'll go to you for your baller and baller of the week. Uh, yeah, my baller has got to be um, Welsh rugby, the women's team, um, awarding contracts out. I think after the last like three years they've had as an organisation, it's been quite embarrassing, really. So to see the women getting full time contracts and retainer. Is really good, um, and my ball ache has got to be Swansea City. Um, they lost Jake Bidwell, um, and they, they just seem to be losing players and just not gaining any. Um, and I don't know if it's like the owners or whatever, but they're not doing great. On a free transfer as well. I kind of believe it was a free transfer because he's a decent player, Jake Bidwell. Yeah, I said that. I was so shocked. <laughs> There's Amy Clement never coming back on our pod again now. <laughs> Bless her. Gary, we'll go to you. Uh, Going to go baller. Got to go the way Fulham's playing at the minute. Fulham are 
dominating. Last three games, uh, over six goals, insane form. Um, you know, Mark Silva, former Everton manager, um, you know, has really seemed to have found his footing with Fulham. Um, do think they're in really, really good form. And I do think, you know, if they go up with the right players, you know, they could stay up this time round. But, um, yeah, I think they've, they've been brilliant. Um, Ball ache, got to be the COVID postponements. Um, I'm just... I just don't understand the logic behind it. Uh, you, you look at players loaning out, uh, teams loaning out players, selling players. Um, I mean, one team that comes to my mind, uh, Aaron, I know you're an Arsenal fan. Arsenal comes to my mind here. Yeah. It's the first team off the top of my head. Loan out Balogun. Um, you know, Uber's frozen out. Um, Kolasinac has been released. Yeah, um, we, we're going to sell Pablo Mari as well. Mari, so that, that's uh, four players right there. Yeah, who most likely, yeah, they could have played in, in the London derby. I understand the frustrations, not just for Conti, but the fans as well. It's it's your derby game. Um, It is frustrating. I know you want your best teams and stuff out, but, you know, Arsenal aren't the only team that's doing it. Burnley look like they're doing it a little bit at the moment. Newcastle have definitely done it as well. Um, I think that the rule has just been abused, and obviously that's been reviewed this week, which is good because it needs to be because you've got teams like Bayern who are putting out a bench full of kids to actually fulfil the uh, the fixtures. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we are going to have a Twitter spaces about it, aren't we, next week? I mean, we're going to venture into Twitter spaces, which can only go badly wrong. But it's a great topic. I mean, like you said there, I mean, the Arsenal one really does, it, it does absolutely, it, it doesn't infuriate us because really it's got nothing to do, I'm a Southern fan, you know, we're in League One, so it doesn't particularly infuriate us, but I, I can't understand how you can loan out two players who have first team experience in Maitland-Niles and uh, Balogun, you know, they've both played in Arsenal's first team this season, I think, I know Balogun has watched it on Maitland-Niles, they've got a game called off, which is fair, but, you know, I can understand it, right, yeah, we haven't got that right. Okay, no problem. But then the day after, say that we're in negotiations to sell Kalasinac and Pablo Mari. It's like so. So they could have. There's four players straight off the bat. You could have played there. And I can understand it being like the derby, and you've got you know you've got the um, the Bragg and rights and everything like that. But the, my my big thing is on this, and we are going to talk about the week before the FA Cup third round. Not one Premier team called the game off, and that for me. Is sickening, you know. I, re- I really am. Like me and Gary were in like it's kind of a, a WhatsApp group, and half us summer fans, half us Newcastle fans, and me and Gary are so kind of against this, you know, because it's just for me, it's just taking the absolute water, you know. Uh, there we go. There's fifty pence saved. I didn't say the p word, um, but yeah, but yeah, I'll, I'll go into mine. Um, my baller is um, Mark Selby, the snooker player for um, really, really bravely admitting that he's going to, to get help. You know, he's got mental health issues. I think kind of we don't associate mental health with sports people still. You know, we've seen Ben Stokes have it. Um, you know, we had a great podcast with Sack. I think one of the very first guests that we had on this show. Um, and I employ anyone who is struggling with mental health to give that one a listen because it's still kind of not seen. These sports people are still seen as like, invincible and they're not they're just humans so for him to come out and do that uh, is meant and i wish them all the best as well uh the jester from leicester as he's called you know such a, a great snooker player and such a great guy when you see him on the telly so i hope he's all right um ball ache is um it's a kind of lovely little segue with with, with aaron's it's the the poor ball 
person or the ball boy in the Emma Raducanu Sloan Stevens game who got sent to try and kill them moths. <laughs> the poor guy. <laughs> I mean, the, the umpire was like, going, Emma, Emma, because Emma was so focused on trying to win the points. And this ball guy was running around trying to pick up these moths. I think eventually he just stood on one, didn't he know the club? Like, what are they doing? What's he doing? And it felt so bad for him. <laughs> it, was, it was an awful thing, but. Uh, yeah, um, that's pretty much that's pretty much it. So I'd, I'd like to thank Aaron for coming on for your first your first time on What a Ball. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Absolutely loved it. I've just looked at the time; it's absolutely flown by. And this is the power of sport, isn't that's it? it. You know, four people. Well, I suppose you two are from relatively the same neck of the woods. We have got Lucy from Wales, and I'm from the Midlands. And you know what? We can just talk sport for hours. That's why it's the greatest thing on the planet, in my opinion. In particular, cricket, obviously, as as the cricket connoisseur. But thank you very much for having me on, gents. It's an absolute pleasure. And obviously, for any of the for any of the the new listeners who have come across, you know, just give these boys a follow, give them a subscribe on all popular podcast podcast streaming platforms, and. Yeah, lads, if you ever want us on again, just give us a shout. Oh, we'll no worries. We'll, we'll get you on again, 100%. Okay. Like I said, Lucy, this is your second time on the pod. Definitely not the last. Thank you so much for uh, for joining. Yeah, I enjoyed last time. I really enjoyed tonight. Thank you for having me. Great. Okay. And it's the County Cricket Podcast for anyone who is, because, you know, I'm did so well in giving us a little bit of a plug. We're going to uh, give you guys a plug as well. So the County Cricket Podcast, um, you can catch that. Is that, on, is that weekly nowadays or...? Well, it's basically every four days. Sorry about my reaction. Uh, Tottenham have just drawn level against Leicester <laughs> in, in the la literally last last kick of the game. I think it's Stefan Bergwijn. But uh, no, in terms of, of us as a podcast, well, as a podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, whatever you listen to your podcasts on, we'll be there. New episode every four to five days, interviews, review shows, weekly wrap-ups, pretty much everything. We've even got our own quiz show now which is coming back in the next few weeks. So if you want to give that a follow, if you're a cricket fan, there you go. The oh, I'm definitely podcast. coming on that quiz. Like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just invited myself. <laughs> you can be there, Ram. Yeah, we'd love I'm to have you on. Fancy that. I fancy that. Just a very, very quick plug from me as well. Um, our friend Stephen End has a book out at the moment. Um, he's um, Football for Brains book that is on eBay for £4.50. Just if anyone, just give the guy a hand, really, because I know he's he's had a really tough time of it this year. He's had COVID um, and he's been quite unwell. Um, so, you know, if anyone wants a quiz book for a birthday, for, you know, I know there's Valentine's Day coming up if you want to, you know, give your, your boyfriend or girlfriend a Valentine's Day uh, present if they like the quizzes. £4.50 for a quiz book, guys, you know, and a uh, um, donation of every sale goes to uh, Dementia Charity. So if you can give Stephen a hand, that would be great. Gary, I will see you next week. As of yet, we don't have a guest, but I'm sure we'll uh, we'll find somebody. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we'll work on it this week. But uh, Aaron, Lucy, thanks for your time today. I do really appreciate it. Yeah. Cheers, guys. And yeah, we'll, this will be out at some point this week, hopefully. And we will see you all next week. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us again. Um, you all take care, stay safe, and bye-bye. <laughs>